Well, good morning, everybody. When you're ready, go ahead and stand with us.
Amen. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We praise you for the sunshine and just the wonderful weather, the week we've had. I praise you that we can all be here together in this building that you've blessed us with in your church, be your church. Uh, so I pray that as we singing these songs to you, as we praise you with these words and these melodies, as we hear your word today, uh, just uh, help us all to grow uh, closer to you, closer to each other. Uh, be a better church for you, for your community that you've put us in, and and we just love you, God. Uh, we're here to praise you and give you this time. Amen. Because you're dismissed, if you'd like, and we're going to sing another song.
been formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory. Kind of knocking the rust off a little bit. As you know, I took a little time off and got away to Tennessee to go down to see my daughter, which was uh, absolutely wonderful. It was good to just uh, hit the road and relax and just not really think about anything except trying to avoid getting a speeding ticket on the way down in my wife's car. And then um, just uh, asking the question uh, three times a day, what are we going to eat? And that was really all of my concern. I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, but I'm back to uh, my responsibility here, and it is great to be with you guys. Uh, definitely miss my church family, and uh, happy that uh, we can just enjoy what I would call uh, the, the wonderful two months a year in Ohio that, um, that we can just savor, and that is when the sun's shining and everything's radiant and beautiful and just gorgeous. And then for the other 10 months, we just anticipate these two months, so savor it while you can. But there's another place that God calls us, of course, and that is to worship and uh, set the tone for the first day of the week. And I think that as we do that, uh, we savor the moment so that we can carry the substance of it uh, in our memories through the course of the week and just remember what we did today in elevating uh, and magnifying the name of the Lord so that uh, we can sense his presence going with us. And I hope that's the case for everybody here that... Um, that's come to, uh, to seek him, to know him, to find a, a relationship and a friendship in him. So uh, with, with those kind of things opening up our gathering today, I uh, just wanted to mention a few prayer concerns. Um, I don't know if you're aware of uh, Ben Bruderly passing away uh, last week, but uh, Ben was a staple in this church, actually helped build the church uh, back in the day, and uh, had a lot of stories about that. And just enjoyed uh, friendship with him. He's been over in Defiance, Ohio for a couple of years with his daughter. Uh, so we're going to miss him, but um, we know where he's at, and uh, there's a celebration happening in heaven. Uh, also pray for Wendell Goddard. Wendell, hopefully you can see us on your phone. Uh, he's in the hospital up in uh, um, uh, St. E's in Youngstown right now, and um, he said, if I can figure out my phone, I'm going to be at church tomorrow. Um, and so I said, well, you know, 
call me if you need some help, but then I don't know if that'll work or not if he's trying to figure it out while I'm talking to him. But that said, uh, pray for Wendell. He fell and broke uh, five ribs uh, just uh, about a week ago. Uh, he's recovering. They had to do some surgery to put him back together, uh, but uh, he's going to have to do a little rehab. Uh, so he's a little bit um, down right now from the fact that he's, he's 89, and he's probably only been in the hospital once. So I said, well, if you've dodged that bullet that long, then, you know, you're putting in a little bit of time here that a lot of people have had to go through. Uh, but uh, he's uh, looking forward to being back with us and sitting right right back there. We know exactly where he likes to sit. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, keep him lifted up. Anybody else have anything on your heart today that um, you'd like to keep uh, before the Lord with, uh, with, the, with the body of Christ here? Anybody have any concerns? Anything that you're celebrating right now? I know we've got a lot of graduates happening. Cliff? Oh, wow. Wow. I don't think that changes the power dynamic any, so don't get your hopes up. But at least that's a change up anyway. Yeah. Well, it disrupt the delicate equilibrium there somewhat. So you and what's the new grandbaby's name? Jackson Nathan. David. J.D. That's okay. So he's got some swagger going on there. He's probably going to be spoiled to death. Um, but anyway, that's congratulations. Um, Chuck, you guys got any new babies or just, okay, just checking, <laughs> making sure. Okay, all right. Well, the be fruitful, multiply, you know that verse. Okay. We got two weeks left before you get another one. How many does that make? Are, there, are the numbers go that high? Daddy can't wait. All right. Well, that's exciting stuff. Congratulations. And we'll pray for a safe delivery. Yeah. Okay. All right. Pat? Janet Schaefer, and who else? Carrie Toy? Okay. I know Janet had basically um, a sort of a herniated aorta, and I don't know all the details about it, but I do know that it's been a matter of concern for a while. Uh, it has getting, been getting worse, and we just want to make sure, hopefully, that can get resolved in a, in a way that doesn't impact her health. Uh, so keep those guys lifted up. Um, Anybody else? Okay. 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 Uh, Mary Shoup, eye surgery on the 12th. Okay. We'll be lifting you up, Mary. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get to God's word. Lord Jesus, as we gather before your throne, we are grateful that you came into our world and you revealed to us in a sense that we can't even imagine what God is like. 
And coming away from the story of the Gospels, we see that you are not only our Lord and our Savior, but I think for many of us, most importantly, our friend, the one who is faithful, that uh, carries the burden alongside us, the one who encourages us by your Holy Spirit, the one who just enables us each day to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, Lord Jesus, we want to take the things that we've accumulated here, place them before your feet, and ask, Lord, that your mercy would be at work in every life that we've mentioned. We pray, Father, that you would touch uh, those who are seeking encouragement today and bring uh, conviction to us as we root and ground ourselves in the reality of your kingdom and the life that we have in connection with the Father through you. I pray, Father, that um, you just help families that are grieving right now, especially Ben Bruderly, and that you be with Wendell and that you give him healing and just recover uh, the mobility of his legs and strengthen him, Lord. I know he wants to be with your people today, and I ask that you just uh, work to, to make that happen. And um, I pray for our friends who are going up to the university hospital, Janet and Carrie. Pray that you help them with their struggles. Pray, Father, for your blessing upon these new lives that have either come into the world or that are getting ready to, um, to, 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 to begin their journey. And I pray that there will be a safe delivery for uh, Diane's great-great-grandchild. And just ask, Father, that as um, we take uh, all of these things, and, and Mary as well, as she anticipates surgery, um, we pray that you would bless them, that you would be present, that you would be the source for everything that's needed uh, in each of these situations. And even as we look at our needs, we thank you, Father, that you've placed upon us a calling to advance your name, your kingdom, to be representatives, to take the light that is inside of us and radiate it to the world around us, only because you abide within us and dwell within us. And Father, we want to attune to that in a way that affects our, our families, our friends, uh, people that you put in our path, that when they see us, they see you. And Lord, we ask that as we learn and grow along the way, that you give us wisdom for whatever challenge that uh, is being faced today uh, by each person that's gathered and those who are unable to be with us. I pray, Father, that your spirit would give wisdom and direction, uh, that you would provide peace and you would give guidance to things that um, perhaps are, are beyond our capacity to know how to solve or to troubleshoot or even begin to overcome. We thank you, Lord, that you are the source for everything, and we trust you in that, Lord, and we anchor our lives in, in your life, and we want you to dwell in us as we gather. So, Father, as you attune our hearts, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you or whatever form you look at the Bible, whether it's your phone, uh, you can look at your phone as well, but you're not given permission to say, oh, hey, squirrel, 
So this is the Lord's time. We'll dedicate that to him. Uh, so just a, just a little preemptive warning there. Um, but hopefully, as we're going through the book of John, God's able to speak to you as uh, he has uh, to me and the things that we're learning. It's a different kind of gospel for sure. It's not like Luke or Matthew or Mark are written kind of in a linear way. John is saying, I'm going to say something, and I want you to ruminate on it for a while, and then you're going to see stuff as you do that will help you to discover who Jesus is. So it's really kind of a meditation sort of book. It's one that you read it, and you're very comforted by the, the, the spirit that's in there because there's just a deep sense of God's love for us. But then you also read it, and you discover that God is saying in very subtle terms through John, I love you more than you can ever imagine, but I love you too much to keep you in that place. And there's something that Jesus is up to that challenges the very core of our being, so much so that John's hope is that when you and I read this gospel, our literally our identities begin to shift. Something inside of us changes profoundly so that we no longer see the the world the same anymore. And, and I believe this book can have that effect. And just using that word believe is really the primary driver in the story. Because John says repeatedly, I'm writing these things so that you may believe. And there's something about belief and religion and God that um, just uh, are, are just a given. But the problem is how we understand and relate to the word belief and faith is an issue that Jesus is, is going to um, uh, take up here in, in the story that we're looking at today. As uh, we read John 6, we see something happening this, that, that, that is really just um, undeniably profound. Uh, but it's also something that you look at it and you say, how could this ever happen unless God has shown up uh, in, in, on, on the landscape? And there's something about how Jesus shows up that redramatizes some familiar things that people who are familiar with the Bible can kind of see something that reminds them of something that you read about a long time ago. Namely, when Moses led the people out of Egypt into the promised land and their dependence, the complete and total dependence on God um, was really the prerequisite. And there's something that happened in that storyline that Jesus recaptures. And we're going to lead you there uh, as we think about um, uh, what, uh, what Jesus wants from you and I and how we can participate in the thing that he gives us. So as cryptic as that sounds, uh, I just want to take you there for a minute. But before I do, I want to I just talk about John for a second. If you can imagine John, who is an apostle, which by definition an apostle is a person that has seen and witnessed firsthand the person in the life of Jesus. And so the, math, the 12 disciples, many of them became apostles with the exception of Judas. And as they did, they were firsthand giving a testimony to the things that they saw and the way that Jesus lived and the reason why he came. And uh, the people that um, later shaped the church uh, were some of these leading lights. And one of them uh, was, uh, was the Apostle John. And John had an interesting 
job from my point of view because when Jesus came, he called 12 people, but then there were three, kind of like an inner circle. It's not that Jesus is saying these three are better. It's just that for whatever reason, these three resonated the most with Jesus' sensibility that he drew them even closer because he could say things to them that they would be like, yeah, whereas the other disciples, they would kind of get stuff, but then they wouldn't kind of get stuff, and then it was sort of like scratching your head. But he saw something in Peter, James, and John that he said, I'm going to root my whole enterprise called bringing the kingdom into the world and restoring planet Earth and reclaiming every life that would believe in me through these three guys rippling out into the remaining as it turns out, 12 later on, and then on into us, the church. But can you imagine? God shows up on planet Earth, and you are one of three people that get to spend three years of your life with God himself. I mean, just let that soak in for a minute. I I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that he had that front row seat. And I don't think he fully understood what that, the significance of that was during that three-year period of time. But clearly, when he looked in the rearview mirror, he saw it in bold relief. He saw the vista, and he realized that that was something that no one else on the planet has ever experienced. And I was privileged to that. And the overwhelming sense, the overwhelming takeaway that John drew from that was... I have seen and interacted not only with the presence of God, but I have profoundly experienced the deep love of God. I don't know about you, that gives me goosebumps just to think about how profoundly God loves us. John is one of those books where you kind of chew on it. Do you know where that word ruminate comes from? I know we're a little bit removed from the bovine experience, but basically what it means is a cow is eating the grass, and then it kind of chews it up, puts it in its stomach, and then, unlike you and I, uh, spits it back up, chews it again, puts it in the next stomach, and then repeats the cycle. How would you like to eat your Mexican like that? Let's just, let's just wrap our minds around that for a second. That's a process. I'd probably grow to hate Mexican as, as much as it is my favorite if I had to do it that way. But the product of that chewing the cud is really just a process of digestion where it finally turns into something that we consume on a daily basis, whether it's milk or whether it's uh, beef of some form. But the, the thing that the word conjures up is that sense of you spent some time here and that's not an easy thing to do in our culture because we don't spend very much time anywhere well maybe on our phone but as far as just saying hey i'm going to be here i'm going to camp out here i'm going to listen i'm going to pay attention i'm going to learn i'm going to grow hmm that's going to take a lot but there's something about the bible that that kind of demands that of us And as John is writing, he's trying to use language to capture what it is like to spend three years with God himself. And he actually reflects on it because there's not just John. There is also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then there's Revelation. So the guy has 
five books that he's trying to say, hey, I can't make you experience God, which I would love to be able to, to, to do that with the words that I share today. But even John couldn't do that other than to say, I can give you words that will paint a picture of what life with God is like and what life with God is going to be like and who God is and what his character is essentially like. But it's up to you to discover what that means personally. And so in 1 John chapter 1, in the opening words, it says, it says this. And then we're going we're gonna to toggle back to the, the passage uh, that we're reading today. And in, and in this, um, we read, from the very first day, John writes, we were there taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before you. And that's from the message version of the Bible. Or, and not the message, but the, um, uh, yeah, the message. And, and as, as, as we read it in that sense, he goes on to say, we saw it. We heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and the Son and Jesus Christ, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this. Your joy will double our joy. So you get this sense of longing, don't you? That John is saying, we saw it. We're trying to capture it because we want you to know him as we know him. And as we get into the story here in a second, I want to set it up a little bit. Because the challenge that we have today is how can we recapture and how do we continually rekindle the life and the vitality of that thing we call our faith? And I, and I really think that there are two kinds of connections to God that, that we have. And, and one of them is just simply religious. If I ask somebody, um, are you a believer? And they said these words, um, yeah, I belong to, let's say, the Episcopalian church. But that's not really what I'm asking. I'm asking the question, how are you connected to God? And if you give me religious language uh, in a sense that you're just telling me all the right doctrinal denominational things, it raises a question in my mind, and it's a concerning question. Because there is a difference between being simply religious and having a relationship with God. And religious means that we're kind of doing it on our own terms, even though we will tell anybody who asks, yes, I believe in God. But the deeper question is, do you know Jesus personally? And do you trust him with your life? Not just do you believe in him, but do you trust him with your life? 
And that's where Jesus is going with our story today. And I just want to go back to the book of John now, chapter 6, verses 1 and following. And in it, we read these words. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover festival, the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. And when he looked up and he saw a large crowd coming towards him, um, I'll repeat myself. Um, uh, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Now, this raises some questions for me, but there's 71 verses in this chapter, and I don't think we're, we, I don't have the attention span for that, but um, we're just going to ruminate on a few things here. And the first is, if the Passover is going on down in Jerusalem in Judea, what is Jesus doing up in Galilee? It's like he's going to set this one out, which seems odd because Jesus typically would follow the religious observances, but he's doing something dramatically different. He's actually trying to move people from a place of, hey, I believe in God and I go to church, to a place of, I trust God with my life so much that I know that no matter what I'm going through, the personal relationship that I have with him will sustain my life in this life. And there, there is a difference. I've seen people that I've helped them cross the threshold, and some of their questions were, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I did enough good things. I hope that, um, hope that my, my belief holds up. I hope that uh, everything that I trusted uh, as far as coming to church every day for the better part of my life is enough. And what I really want to hear is, I've trusted Jesus personally enough that when I cross that threshold, I'm not afraid. I have perfect peace that my Savior and my friend Jesus will get me where he wants me to go. And it's a different kind of response, isn't it? And there's a sense that people looked at the Passover and they celebrated the fact that the, the angel of death that uh, was killing the firstborn of all the Egyptian males had passed over the homes of the people that were honoring God and saying, we trust you enough that when you say, put the blood on the, on the, on the, on the, on the doorpost, they did it and God spared their lives and delivered them into a, a place of new hope and promise. But there's something about that memory that becomes so institutionalized that they start to forget really what it means. What it, what, I mean, it, it, it's awesome that God saved us. We're doing the observance. But trying to sit in that place where you're recapturing, what did those guys go through? What was on their minds? What was on their hearts when God did all of that stuff? Because they didn't know where it was going experientially. And God wanted them to put themselves in that place where they would remember but a lot of people were just looking at it from a completely different point of view, and it just became a religious box to check. And it was an obligation and, in, in some cases, an empty ritual. But for them, that was fine. Because in their mind, if I did the rituals, 
and I did the observances, and I did all the right things, then I have coming to me God's salvation, God's blessing, whatever the case may be. Because there, there's not only two kinds of connections to God, there are also two kinds of relationships. And you've heard me say this before, but it is true. Some relationships are strictly transactional. I mean, when I bought my wife's second car, which I've been buying cars a little bit, um, the person on the other end of the phone, when I started inquiring about that, all of a sudden became my best friend. They were texting me. They were asking me, how you doing? How's it going? What you think about the car? Anything I get for you? Bottle of water? Soda? I know we're long distance, but it was like they were just at my beck and call. They were wonderful. Well, after I gave them the money and I went home and I had an issue with the car, all of a sudden, the text response isn't quite as fast. And then I have to get a little bit sort of like sharp with them. And I'm thinking, I'm being a pastor here. I know being nice isn't always the best way, but this is a matter of basically expediting a process that's necessary for a car to go down the road legally. And it was sort of like crickets. And I'm thinking that, by definition, is a transactional relationship. I got what I wanted. They got what they wanted. When it got complicated, they just kind of drug their feet. <clears throat> do we do that? Do we do that with each other? Is it easy to just cancel somebody because, hey, they're not going in the same direction I'm going anymore? Or they're, I've discovered this about them, and I'm just going to sort of distance myself? Well, that's what we do. And in the age of likes and dislikes and um, ghosting and not really attending to relationships, pretty easy to do. But what Jesus is looking for is something a little more substantial. He's actually looking to create a kind of connection with us personally and with us together that's lasting, that works through things, not in a transactional way. If you do this, then you get that, or I'll give you this or that, but rather in a way that says, I have one primary objective in this relationship, and it is this. How much can I love you no matter what? That's a pretty tall order because, as you know, we get too close to people, and myself included, we got some rough edges. We're not always the easiest people to be around. I don't know about you, but come around about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm not a nice person. My energy level's low. Probably my dopamine levels are low. Getting hangry. Just not my best self. And maybe you've experienced that. And if you have, I'm sorry. Um, catch me after dinner. But the fact of the matter is, there's a posture that Jesus is trying to create here that goes beyond the simple, simple religious check the boxes. You give God this, he gives you that. What Jesus wanted to do was redefine what it means to relate to God and at the same time, redefine how we relate to each other. 
Because it's easy to keep score, isn't it? It's easy to say, hey, that person was, was, was really nice in this way. I'm going to be nice to them. Hey, that person, they upset me, so I'm going I'm to retaliate in kind. And I, I get it. I get it. We all do it. And we all have to work through that. But where God wants us to land is, is a place where we are all working towards bringing out our best self. So Jesus is up on the mountain, and he does something dramatic. He's trying to develop something in the lives of the people that are paying attention to him because people are saying, that guy is doing stuff that no one's ever done before. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's performing miracles. He's changing water to wine. And there's a sense that, well, we may be on the threshold of a seismic change as God's people. And so there was this sort of rumbling happening where they're thinking all these thoughts about this guy being different and this guy perhaps maybe the M word starts to, starts to flow in the conversation. Maybe he's the king that God had prophesied that he would send. And there was an excitement so Jesus gathers up on this mountain, and all these people are following him, and he's looking out at the crowd, and it's a beautiful day, you know, one like we've had lately. You, know, you go out here on the grass, and there's these little yellow flowers popping up. I don't know if you've seen them or not before the mower got them, but they are just, I'd walk, I'd walk to my car, I'd park it back here in the shade. I'd walk to my car, and I'd just be looking down at them, and I'd be like, Oh, you're so beautiful. I just want to take you all home. And, and as I'm looking at them and just savoring that, I'm thinking how peaceful something as simple as that is. It cost me really nothing, but yet is just so life-giving and beneficial. And as you go to that place, that really is the moment that we're capturing here. It's that time of year. The grass is plentiful. The foliage is in full bloom. It is a life-giving, life-affirming moment. And everybody's sitting on the hillside. And then Jesus is saying in this story as we go into it, um, man, if only they got it. Because if the last part of the verse that we showed on that last slide was something that I, I think John wants us to ponder as well. And, and, that, and that's simply this. Um, he said to Philip, who asked the question, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Because we know hangry and people equals, you know this already. And Philip is concerned about maybe even his life. But I doubt that it goes that far. But Jesus said to Philip, where do we buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, six months wages won't buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. But the thing I wanted to underscore was what he says in verse 6. For he himself knew what he was going to do. And that, honestly, is why he's hanging out on this mountain, because he's going to show something dramatic about who God is and his character that um, he's already shown before a few times. 
And that is uh, asking the question, Philip looks at a kid and he says he's got five loaves, he's got two fish. And Jesus just takes something very minute and minuscule and he, and he just expands it into a place where it just is sufficient, more than sufficient, to feed 5,000 people. And if you're paying attention to the book of John, he was at a wedding not too long prior to this, and there was just a little bit of wine, and it was running out, and Jesus expanded that, 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 that stockpile, storehouse of wine, to such an extent that it was more than enough. And what Jesus is trying to signal in these different events is that God extravagantly wants to bless you. And before you think I'm a health and wealth gospel or person, like I'm just saying, hey, everybody wants, God wants you all to be millionaires, it's, it's a little deeper than that because blessing really centers on the presence of God in your life and what flows out of that no matter the situation. And Jesus wanted to generously just pile upon them the thing that they needed in that hour to show the extravagance of, extravagance of God. But there's a problem. And it's a problem that you and I all have. And that is whether we admit it or not, whether we like it or not, we put up barriers. We want God, but we want God on our terms. And as the story unfolds, we discover that. Because a little bit later on, as this happens, and people are just totally amazed by what transpired, um, we read that uh, the next day the crowd had stayed on the other side um, of the sea. Let, let me just pull up the scripture that we have next in John, and I'll, I'll pick it up there. It says, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And I, and I can't help but wonder, He's getting ready to pivot into something that's going to make a huge point to 5,000 people. And he's wanting them all to get it. And the first thing that he does isn't execute his plan. But he does what we all should do before we try to do anything. And that is he goes to the mountain and he spends time with the Father. He takes all the noise and he cancels it out of his life and his world. And he concentrates on the thing that he needs to do next by asking God first to enable it. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we've done a lot of praying here at First Christian Church for a lot of things. And we've not assumed that we can do anything without him enabling it to the point where we just simply... Are in, the, are in the reflexive response that if we want to do something, we pray first. And, um, you know, we've been praying for a youth pastor, and I know, I know Chris and Amy probably get tired of hearing it, but Amy is just phenomenal. She's an answer to prayer. She's got her heart in the right place. She's seasoned. She's got a good sense of discernment. And she's grounded and anchored in the word. And that was just God. And when you think about not only getting people into a, a place of, 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 of effectiveness, but then you think about how talents overlap. And 
in, in a lot of ways, she brings a facet to the, the talent pool, especially when you're pay, talking about the paid staff here. I have a certain strength. Brittany has a certain strength. Brian has a certain strength. And Amy has a certain strength. And the, and the cool thing is they're just circles that overlap and reinforce. That's a God orchestration. And it is only by the Spirit and the enabling of God that wonderful things like that happen. And Jesus is hoping that by not going to Jerusalem during the Passover and by re-dramatizing, providing bread in the wilderness, providing bread in the wilderness, that people will tune into the fact that this isn't a God who's just showing up as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is a God who's showing up in the form of us. And he's dramatically showing the provision of bread in, in a way that's very ground level. And what he's signaling to the people who are consuming this is, I fed you, now I want you to look at this bread and I want you to think about it not just on the surface level, but also on the level of the spiritual and how the identity of God's people are defined by the spiritual realities that emerge out of the physical experiences. And, and John, is, he's, really, he's really keen on making this point because every time you read something in John, he's saying, here's kind of the surface level, here's kind of the ground level, practical way of providing wine at a wedding. But I also want you to think about wine and the role of God's people and the history of it and the prophets and God's provision and what it means in terms of a marriage. And I want you to think about the reconnection that God is longing to create that he lost way back in the garden with his people. And the only way that he can truly define that is using marriage imagery. That special intimacy that occurs not when we are religious, but when we have a relationship. And John wants us to chew on this enough that we're digesting it and we're saying, oh, I see where you're going with that. It's a key moment that requires Jesus to get away and to get everything in its proper place as he engages the Father so that he can come down back off the mountain and he can create the greatest impact on the hearts and the minds of the people that he's trying to lead into a new identity and a new place. That's a pretty tall order. It's like me asking you, hey, I want you to come in here testing the water a little bit, and I want you to leave saying, I saw Jesus, and now my life has dramatically changed, and I will never be the same again. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? But that's exactly what John's trying to do here. You ever hear that story about a woman who saw Jesus, told her, him everything, her everything, he told her everything she knew, did, and then she went and told everybody, my life has changed? That's not a religious box being checked. That is a relational encounter with the living God. And John says, as you're digesting this, Jesus is getting ready to move. Because Jesus is in the process, the best way I can say it, 
is, I want to find the literal wording because, you know, I'm, I'm a little rusty. Um, Jesus is in the process where he helps people discover the secret that he wants to reveal. You catch all that? That's what John's up to. You're like, wow, that's really deep, Pastor. Well, it is kind of, but it basically just means Jesus shows up in your world, and if he gets your attention, he's going to take you where you're at, and he's going to meet that need in the moment, but he's going to say, but I want to use this to draw you into a deeper place. And every time I visit somebody in the hospital or every time I talk to somebody pastorally about a crisis that they're going through, every time I see somebody in pain or hurt and asking God for help, I'm asking the question, God, what are you using this for? Because I know this is really an opportunity for you to shine. It's an opportunity for you to speak into the world now that they have your attention. And they're going to hopefully come away from this saying, I'm really glad I went through that. Only Jesus can do that. Because he has this way of helping us discover the secret that he wants to reveal. And you know the hardest thing that God has to do in that process? It's just get our attention. Now, being married to a school teacher, I hear stories pretty much every day while the school year is going on. And invariably, it'll involve a child that is painfully like one that I was. That kid's not paying attention. That kid's acting up. That kid, if I could just smack him upside the head, I'm like, I know, I, I get you. Um, there's this sense where God looks at us and he says, I just left, came back from Tennessee, so this is appropriate, I think, and I'm from central Illinois. Y'all need to pay attention, you know? And that's hard. I mean, Jesus, I'm lucky to get the surface meaning here. If you're asking me to spend a little time here thinking about the story, whew, that's a challenge. But sometimes he'll sideline us a little bit so that we get his attention, and then he says, I'm glad I got you here. I don't want to keep you here, but I will keep you here long enough that you will get it. What was the need that the people had? They were hungry. Who provided? Jesus. You know, we try to copy that here at First Christian. We're asking questions like, what is the need out there? And how can God provide it through us? And then how can God use that as he, we follow his lead to take them to that place where Jesus is sort of helping them discover who he is? And when people see us, the hope is they will see him and they'll want to know more. But the story is, 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 is 71 verses long, so I'm just going to kind of fast forward where it goes. So Jesus comes down the mountain. The disciples get on the boat. They cross the boat over to, to the other side, on the boat to the other side. And as they're going, there's a storm. And the, the, No, there isn't a storm yet. This is, that's another story. As they're going, they see a guy walking on the water. Well, who does weird things like that with water? Walking on the water, parting the water. Who, who does that stuff? Well, if memory serves me correctly, God. And when they see him coming, what does it say? They were afraid. 
because that's a huge weirdness happening. It is the, it is the, the unthinkable which becomes undeniable. And that, that really is the definition of faith. It's when the unthinkable, well, when the unthinkable becomes the undeniable. I mean, I can give you 40 reasons why you should believe in Jesus. But the unexplainable, the unthinkable, when it meets the undeniable, you're like, I don't have words for it, Pastor. All I know is something's different. All I know is I'm starting to kind of see it. All I know is Jesus, he's a lot more personal than I realized. 90% of the people in the United States are not atheists. 90% of us will say, we believe in that thing that we can't explain. We just don't know what to do with it. But then Jesus came and he says, I, I, I want to show you what to do with that thing you can't explain, God. And then I want it to become so undeniable that you believe it so much that you trust it. I could, I could put a chair up here and I could say, I believe that's a chair. But do I trust it? I may look at it and say, yeah, I, I know who put that together. And they don't know a crescent wrench from a screwdriver. I don't think I'm going to risk it. It's a nice-looking chair. I believe that's a chair. But will I sit in it? No. Or Jason or Brian who have new tools and stuff, Hands down, if they put something together, I'd sit on it 10 times out of 10. I would trust it. And as I do, I'm actually saying the action is embedded in the belief. That's the only way it works. That's the only way you're, you can say, I believe in God all day long, but if you don't trust him with the vital things of your life, I don't know that you really believe. I think perhaps I'll be generous and say, you're on the road to discovering, and that's where I hope you would be. But you're not quite there yet. And truth is, I don't think any of us are there yet. Or we completely, I'm not trying to judge, completely and totally trust him with everything. It's kind of like moving from the continuum of being religious and kind of having God sort of the way we want him, but learning along the way, he's making us more the way he wants us and having a relationship. And each of us comes to a place where we realize that's what I need, a relationship. Now, the crowds, they saw something weird going on with Jesus because he's showing up where he shouldn't be showing up, and they're bringing their questions, and they're following like, he's, like they're groupies or something. And as they get to a place where they're asking him a question, they're saying, um, we, we, we don't know whether to make you king. We're just ecstatic by what we're seeing because this is a moment that I think our kids and our grandkids and everybody's going to be telling for generations. Are you the king? Are you the one? And what does Jesus say? He could have said, I appreciate the fact that you guys are getting it. Let's keep going. He says, no. You know what? You guys want me because you want something. 
you want a Messiah, or you want more of what I just gave you. It's very transactional. And I'm here to break that whole mold of how you connect with God. To where I want you to know that my chief purpose for coming here on planet Earth, as it says in this chapter, is to dwell inside of you. John opens up that gospel with the word, and the beginning was the word, and the word dwelt with us. And that word dwell is used repeatedly, and I don't think John just said, hey, I got a limited vocabulary, so I'm going to use this word for everything. He uses dwell strategically to say, it is God's aim, my friends, to dwell in your hearts and nothing less. See, Jesus came to create something that didn't exist prior to his arrival. And that was such a personal connection with God that the way God changes the world, the way God remakes us, is to actually come inside of us and begin to recreate us from the inside out. Because he said, you know, you're looking for more bread, but the bread that you just ate, I want you to think about the spiritual significance enough that when you look at it again, as you remember the significance of the story, the Passover or the Exodus or whatever you want to connect to in God's storyline and recognize this is God inhabiting this food in a way that when you consume it, it will actually give you life and life more abundant. Now, some of the disciples, the scripture says, said, we can't do that, Jesus, because we don't understand what it means to be in a relationship. All we know is just going to church. It's all we've ever done, observing the rituals, doing the things that are the boxes that you need to check. That's all we know. And you're talking about being the bread of life and us living in you and you and us, and it's just we don't get it. Why didn't they get it? I think there are two postures you can have towards God. One is, I'm in a self-protective mode, and that's getting too personal, so I'm just not going there. Or the other one is, I have nothing to lose, and so I'm opening my heart to you, God. And then those who stayed began to see it. And we're glad they did. What I like about how the chapter ends, or how the section ends, is the disciples say, if that's the kind of bread that you're bringing to the world, we want more of it. Kind of sounds like the Samaritan woman and the people that were enjoying the wine at the wedding feast. There's this sense that and, and, and I just want to make a point here, because we went to a mega church while we were while we were by Miami's, it's just down the road, and she's shopping for a church. And Miami is, um, she's a thinker, and so she she likes lots of doctrine, lots of content, heavy stuff. 
I can't keep up with her. So I just sent her to Tennessee to the buckle of the Bible belt, and I said, maybe they can help you down there. But the, but the reality is that the, the, the sermon, by her measure, was too shallow. For me, it was helpful. It was directive. It was nice to spend time and meet some of God's people from another part of the planet. But this sense of, you know, you're either given too much content or you're either deep enough or not deep enough. And you know what my answer to that is? The only way that you're going to satisfy that inner longing of, hey, it just didn't do it for me, two things. One of them is believe in Jesus to a point where it establishes a personal relationship and then begin to obey and live it out. And then you'll discover that as you serve other people, that longing, that need for satisfaction, well, it gets satisfied. Because that, 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 sense of, that sense of discontent is what God does when he says, you're not quite where I need you to be. And it's not the content of the stuff you're getting in church. It is how engaged are you with the things that my heart bleeds for meaning the people around you that need to know me. And the disciples said, we get it. But other people said, we don't want it. And that's really where we stand here at the end of this message. Do you want the bread of life? Or are you just happy with the bread from the bakery? And the bread of life is a completely different kind of nourishment. But I can tell you, there are a lot of well-fed people right now, all around you and I, that are deeply discontent and spiritually malnourished. And my friends, we have, we have the answer to that need. And it's our job to offer it in a way that they can discover it the need that God says we can meet. And the love of God just flows through that. Because so I, I honestly believe if, if you're just fixated on doctrine and you are totally obsessed with just getting all the dots and T's in order, I would just call that spiritual indigestion. Because it's, it's not going to satisfy the engaging aspect of it. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of introverts in the world, and you're saying, hey, I, I, I like coming to church, I like believing, but I don't really want to engage with people. You know what the cool surprise is that I've seen as a pastor? People start to sort of come out. They start to find joy. An inner gregariousness comes out when you're doing something in the name of the Lord, asking him to help you, and then you see somebody or a need, and you go and you respond to it, and you say, I'm doing this in the name and, the, and through the love of Jesus. It's like you forget about yourself. And there's something beautiful about that. Well, I've either sold you or I haven't. But the real question is, has God showcased the significance of the unexplainable enough in your life that it becomes the thing that you say that's undeniable. All I can tell you, Pastor, I don't know much about 
the things that, you know, intellectuals talk about the Bible and the reasons. All I know is I was blind, now I see. All I know is my life was empty and pointless, now I have purpose. All I know is I had a deep discontent, now there's something that's deeply satisfying. Every Sunday we remind ourselves exactly what that is and what that means, and Kevin's going to lead us here in a minute. So I just want to end this by praying for you. I know I've gone, I made up for, you know, last week, and I'm so grateful that Amy, Amy jumped in for, for us. Uh, so um, uh, I will end there. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are present. And not only that, you have a posture of deep and profound love for us. And in subtle ways and in ways sometimes that are dramatic and overpowering, you, you take us where we are and you lead us to where we need to be. Sometimes it's through convicting words and other times it is through just a gentle nudge. And at other times it is just when we have a deep need and we see clearly it, could, it was only sourced through you. And whatever the case here is in the room, Lord, I just pray that each of us will have moved from being simply religious to being in a right and transformational relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you open our eyes to see what we can't see otherwise without the abiding presence of your Son. I pray for our church that we would be engaged in a way that as you open up opportunities for us to serve, we are faithful in obeying that call. I pray most importantly, Lord, that you would just be magnified in your people so that ultimately when the day comes, you would be glorified by everyone that calls on your name. We thank you, Father, for this bright and beautiful hope that we have in the life-giving name of Jesus. And I pray that that would be in every heart here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this week, as I was thinking about uh, reflecting on this time, um, I thought about uh, something that came up with uh, the youth group for a mission trip. Uh, each week, Amy gives us a psalm as a kind of a devotion to think ahead of time before this youth trip for the kids and for us adults. Um, and two weeks ago, she asked for us to give her a psalm that, you know, maybe touch us or uh, something that hits home to us or maybe a favorite psalm we have. So when I get faced with that question, I can never narrow it down to one. I end up finding four or five that, that I like. Um, so I found one here that uh, kind of fits with what I'm going into here. It's Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Um, so as I was reflecting on that, hit home about communion, how the process that Jesus went through gave us that opportunity to have our iniquities and our sin washed away with his blood. Um, so we partake with that each week. We're lucky we have the opportunity to reflect um, on that uh, sacrifice he did for us. Um, so if you want to join me as we go into that time.
Lord, we thank you for this time we can come together as a collective body of believers, um, that we can uh, get filled with scripture and prayer and love for a week ahead. Um, we all face different trials through our, our week, um, valleys, but we also have mountaintops and joyous times that we need to focus on as well. And all comes from you to help us be stronger and to grow so that we can be strong for other people as well. Uh, just pray that this time as we set aside that we remember that sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for the blood that was shed to wash away our sin and give us an opportunity to be renewed in you for everlasting life. Just as we reflect on this time, uh, we also uh, want to focus on the words of our last song, that uh, each of us sing it as a prayer to you to help us to surrender as you use us for your will and your good for your kingdom. We ask all this in your name.
everybody um, in their works and their family and their lives away from here. Uh, bless them, protect them, uh, and bring us all back safely next week. Amen. It's nice being with you. Don't forget there's a bake sale going on to help out the youth. Uh, go over get some, some cookies and stuff like that. I'll see you next week.